Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Good morning, you're here with me, Dan Koo, on Market View. So to break down the latest market developments, let's welcome on the show the one and only Willie King, the founder of Dividend Titan. Good morning, Willie. Hey, good morning, Dan. All right, Willie, hope you're surviving well so far for this uh, 4am schedule. <laughs> I've been good. I mean, I've gotten used to it. And the thing Fantastic. Is, yeah, I mean, the thing is, the first time when I do the get, to do guest hosting here, it mm. was a pain, you know, to walk up to wake up at 4am. But yeah. I really enjoyed, you know, actually what I really enjoyed was the quiet scenery because my wife I, my wife is sleeping, kids are sleeping. Yeah. So it was great. Like no one to actually bother, to bother me and kind of, I can just do some, you know, quiet reading. Yeah. And, yeah. No doubt the piece is really great, but I think you're the first person I know that finds joy in waking up at 4 a.m. <laughs> All right. But first off, uh, today's agenda is the potential U.S. government shutdown that's making headlines all week. And this could begin as early as October the 1st. That's happening this Sunday, unless the Congress agrees on a deal to fund the federal government before then. Now, for those of us who are unaware, what exactly is a government shutdown and how did they or how did the Congress get to this point, Willie? Okay, so just a quick overview, um, what, what happens during a shutdown is that the US government would cease operations that are that what they are deemed non-essential. Okay. So, and every year Congress must pass this less legislation to fund the federal government for the next, um, for the upcoming fiscal year. So, a shutdown occurs if legislat- legislators cannot um, finish this appropriations process on time. Mm. Uh, typically, the government's 2024 fiscal year would start on the 1st of October. So, that means from now to um, the 1st of October, if Congress is not able to actually pass um, any necessary spending bills mm. um, or any continuing resolution that would offer any any stopgap funding, then a shutdown will, will start this Sunday morning. So, mm. so far, um, since 1980, there, there have been 14 shutdowns um, okay. and the most recent one was a partial shutdown in 2018 to 2019. Mm. Um, I remember the last... The, the, the last fr- the, the, the last one which really frightened the markets was back in 2011 mm. where there was a last minute resolution to increase the debt ceiling back then so some of these um, shutdowns right could actually last for as long as 34 days and this was according to the Congressional Research Service. My goodness, it does certainly remind me a little bit of, I mean, if you remember earlier this year, the US debt ceiling as well, they were playing a lot with time and let's talk about punctuality like, you know, it was always close to the deadline before they decide to uh, provide a solution to this. Now, what does the latest, you know, what's the latest development or the status of the US government shutdown? And where's the debate currently at? Mm. So if we are talking about um, right now, so that there have been a couple of things here. Um, number one, I think that the, the, credit, the credit rating agencies have been talking about how if let's say if there is there is um, an impact on the shutdown, it could actually adversely affect the credit ratings mm. of the US economy and this could actually leave interest rates higher. Yeah. Um, so far, Moody's, one of the major credit rating agencies, has so far put the US economy at a triple A credit rating. Fish was at a double A plus. So if let's say this could actually get worse. Uh, there could be actually a, an, an adverse rating downgrade, which could affect number one on the the currency itself, the dollar strength, and number two on how interest rates are actually going. Mm, quite concerning here. Now, let's then talk about the possible repercussions of a US government shutdown and what kind of impact are we seeing 
it having on the economy then? Mm. So there are, there are a couple of things to, to actually be looking at. Um, the implications here are a few folds. Number one, there are actually more than 2 million civilian federal employees. Um, if let's say if a shutdown do occur, they will either be furloughed or they will be keep working without a pay until the shutdown resolves. So oh, there's actually one implication on that. Mm. Um, workers who are deemed non-essential, non-essential will be furloughed as well. Um, and while those considered essential, they will continue to keep working. So that there would be a split. There will be a 50-50 split of these employees uh, working um, and non-working. And on top of that, you also have military personnel which would also be affected. Um, mm. this would ha- they would stay on the job. They will be required to stay on the job without any pay. Um, contractors hired by the federal government would also be at risk of not getting paid for services. Mm. So there are also people um, who may lose certain federal benefits um, with threat increasing of this length of a shutdown. Yeah. So other benefits as well, including disability compensation, transition assistance might also be delayed as well as certain loans for farmers. So one of the major implications as well is also coming on business loans, mm. um, especially loans secured through the Small Business Administration. So this might also be delayed to business owners. Yeah, it's quite concerning. And I'm, I like that you brought up about uh, Moody's, um, Moody's claim that the you know, uh, US government shutdown would threaten the country's AAA credit rating as well. Because... Uh, for now, at least till now, they're the only one that's held that status for the US government. And I mean, earlier this year, the arrival, Fitch rating, cited an erosion of governance and stripping off the US of its AAA rating. And if we remember correctly, it triggered a sell-off in the equity markets as well. And looking at how equity markets have has performed so far... Certainly not very good times. I mean, let's talk about how they're performing uh, so far in September. It's been living up to the name of uh, being a bear market, right? So then it's also likely to follow through in October, like what we discussed earlier this week as well. Now, taking a look at the broader things in perspective, Willie, how mm. would that affect us here uh, here in Asia? Okay, so the fortunate thing is that there will not be a direct impact or direct implication in Asia here, mm. uh, but... W- certain sectors could be implicated, especially for sectors where they probably would be more more sensitive to interest rates or yield. Um, for example, financial services or financial institutions. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you recall um, back in 2011, where the US actually suffered a potential US debt ceiling crisis, um, a lot of the financial institutions or banking stocks actually sold off and even for our local banks as well. And primarily because a shutdown would actually affect how the yields uh, would actually trade um, for the US. So we might actually see a potential increase or spike in treasury use, for example, as um, the risk of the US economy or the sovereign ratings would actually be put at risk. So this might actually increase the the yield or the the interest rate. And at the same time, this could also affect how banks might actually perform here in in Singapore, or at least in Asia. Yeah. Well, I mean, lots of things to unwrap here next week, though. We'll have to see how it develops over time and uh, how it unfolds over the weekend as well. Thanks a lot for the breakdown, Willie. Now let's shift gears and turn our attention over to the tech space somewhere. It's quite fun here because, I mean, this week we've been seeing a lot of developments in this space. And just yesterday, Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg kicked off the tech giant's Connect Developer Conference with a key focus on virtual as well as augmented reality. 
reality and artificial intelligence. Now, we're talking new VR set and even, wait for it, a new generation of Meta's Ray-Ban smart glasses. If this is not Marvel, this is not Iron Man, I don't know what that is really. <laughs> so tell us more, what stood out to you? Yeah, I mean, it is the Ray-Ban smart glasses which, which stood out. And I think it's at, at, at a pretty affordable price. At, yeah. Uh, just less than $300. Okay. And it was interesting because the device would actually incorporate um, the new Meta AI Assistant. Yeah. And this is capable of live streaming broadcasts of what, you know, the users will be seeing yeah. directly to Facebook and Instagram. So, it's, it's like wearing the glasses and then you walk around and everything can actually be uh, connected and displayed on on your social media um, platforms, you know, yeah. your your Facebook and your Instagram, yeah. and this um, this also includes a chatbot called Meta AI, which mm-hmm. can also generate both text responses and photorealistic images. So it was yeah. very interesting as this actually stood out for me because number one, I think this is something which is n- new on the market, yeah. and for me, I wear wear my glasses. Yeah. You know, I wear glasses for myself and yeah. I guess it's something which is worth exploring. Mm. And it's, uh, I think the, it uses, I've, I've seen some products like this as well where they play music and uh, just by wearing the glasses, I think it uses the bone induction technology or something like that. And it does look f- like appealing as well. It doesn't look like what we've seen on all the other VR headsets, you know, where it's so bulky and like you're, you're afraid of getting judged by people for wearing it. What else stood out to you? I mean, like uh, what are the developments in uh, the conference, during the conference that stood out to you? Yeah, I think Meta's, Meta's Quest, which is its VR headset, would, would be something which I would be pretty much attracted to. I mean, for me, I'm a gamer myself. You know, yeah. I play computer games. And to be able to wear this headset and play, you know, games with my friends and my family will be something which is interesting. I mean, mm. if you look at things, you know, when I was a kid, you know, it never occurred to me that I could actually immerse myself fully in virtual reality because the only closest thing is actually playing a computer game in a desktop. But mm. these days, there could potentially be, you know, playing games in a 3D format Wow. Just by wearing a headset. And I yeah. think that was something which is incredible. Gone were the days where you were building your headset with like a cupboard and, you know, those 3D glasses. <laughs> the red and the blue ones. But yeah, uh, we're talking about Quest 3 here. That's a sequel to the best-selling VR headset of all time from Meta. And the device starts at 499 It's not very expensive, isn't it? Mm. It's uh, slightly more expensive than a predecessor, you know, by $200. But it includes a more powerful chip from Qualcomm better screens and an ability called pass-through which is expected to be also one of the key features on Apple's competing Vision Pro headset but it compares right I mean we talk about price difference here which is more ideal for you well for me it's definitely going to be a smart glasses because if I'm going to buy the headset I probably would have to buy more than one in order to actually play with my friends and family. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a huge investment here, but uh, certainly quite, a, uh, quite, quite an exciting time for Meta. And in fact, they've also launched um, this new uh, software, the AI Studio, the platform that allows businesses to build AI chatbots for the company's various messaging services from the likes of Facebook, Instagram, as well as Messenger. So this will allow businesses to create AI that reflects their brand's values and improve customer service experiences as well. Taking a look at all of this that's happening so far, Willie, one question remains. Mm. Is their gamble back in 2021 that has lost the company more than $40 billion finally paying off? Well, I guess it could be because uh, if you see back then, 
meta platforms actually uh, were lo- looking to actually invest in the whole idea of the metaverse universe. Yeah. And that's something which uh, many people were pretty skeptical skeptical of um, including myself and the reason why is because sometimes you you can't really see too much of the returns on the investments Mm. so a lot of most of the profits the revenues and the profits which is actually coming out from meta platforms is it's not so much from their hardware devices but more on their their family of apps their platforms including Facebook and Instagram um, Mm. and also WhatsApp as well so that's the one where in the near term you are able to see that kind of sustained profits which would probably drive um, its share price performance but going forward you know if you see some of this new hardware devices which are coming out, it could actually potentially add on, it's, it's more of like what I call an optionality, right? Mm. If if it does really well, it could actually put a boost to its profits, um, its bottom line or its profitability and that could also be um, a, a very strong tailwind for its share price performance. Right. Yes, and I can agree with you on that as well. I mean, we can talk about healthy competition here. Because most companies, or at least tech companies, big tech companies that we've been, you know, watching out closely the past few days and weeks, they've been coming up with new devices, new hardware, new software, all in the name of AI. So we'll see. I suppose it's good that at least the commitment, they're staying true to the commitment as well. Yeah, and what's interesting is, you know, if for this kind of tech companies, like what you said then, mm. a lot of these tech companies, because they are so, you know, the, the big ones I'm talking about, like for for example, your meta platforms, they are so flushed with cash. Yeah. They are, they are able to actually create new opportunities, new options, new market segments, mm. and really, you know, potentially wiping out some of the existing players as well. So yeah. the the shift in the, the landscape of these technology companies can be very, very fluid. So yep. on one hand, you know, you might think that, okay, some of these devices might not fail too well or some people are really sceptical about it. But on the other hand, you never know what sort of uptake consumers will have. For yeah. example, back in, if, I'm, if I never recall wrongly back in 2007, there were a lot of critics on the iPhone. People mm. were talking about how um, people won't be um, open to using touchscreen phones mm. and they will still prefer you know the old days the good old days of the Blackberry QWERTY keyboards hey, but who that. knows right the, the iPhone or the smartphone completely blew everyone off and it yeah. became right the next revolution in technology yeah. so who knows I mean what can we say right I mean well we, we tend to change our likings of every now and then but we follow trends you know but thanks a lot for that, Willie. It's a great breakdown of uh, what to expect in the tech sector. Now, Willie, what else is on your radar? What caught your eye this morning? Mm. So we are looking at um, this CNBC survey okay. uh, where CNBC actually polled 300 chief investment officers, equity strategists, and portfolio managers talking about where they actually stood on the markets for the rest of 2023 and beyond. So it was quite interesting because um, as I was on radio, and also interviewing some of the guests, you know, including your fund managers, your strategists. You know, th- there are bits and pieces of their views here. And I think CNBC has actually recorded a very good summary of what many of the experts are, are actually thinking about the markets and what they've actually found that most of the CIOs, strategists, portfolio managers, they are actually looking at the current market as a bear market rally. So 61% per- 61% are talking about a bear, bear market rally. And they believe that the stock markets this year, you know, has just been a bear market bounce mm-hmm. and they might potentially see more trouble ahead. Yeah. So, so far, the S&P 500 has fallen more than 5% this month and he has cut its 2023 gains to 11%. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, no surprise that stocks are struggling as well given how just last week, the Federal Reserve signaled higher interest rates for longer. Mm. And that's also 
sending bond yields higher as well. Now, I believe they've also been sh- uh, they've they've also uh, talked about you know the possibility of a recession as well. So why not share with us what's on their forecast? Yeah. So like what you said, then I mean the in this higher rates for longer environment, mm. um, there are, you know, the, the survey has also shown that people, uh, that experts are also looking at the possibility of a recession. So a, the possibility of a recession comes at 41% um, come mid-2024. And also they have surveyed that, those those surveyed have said that later those, the recession coming out later than 12 months from now have a 23% possibility of a recession. Mm. Um, and within the fourth quarter of 2023, uh, which is the couple of months, and of course, the first quarter of next year, there's an 18% chance of a recession. Mm. And even some of the high-profiles bankers um, and hedge fund managers, for example, your double-line capital CEO, Jeffrey Gunlack, mm. he said that the odds for more rate hikes are higher now in light of the recent jump in oil prices and mm-hmm. that could, could put some pressure on inflation yeah. and could also sort of tip um, the economy into a recession. And JP Morgan's CEO, Jamie Dimon, also have warned that rates could go up. In fact, he did say that it could, it, it could even go up to 7%. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I saw that article before and then he did mention that markets aren't ready for that to happen, right? So, um, well, this, what we've seen so far in the table as well as what CNBC has consolidated, I think it's a good indication of what we can expect in the near term as well and how sentiment is like in the markets. Now let's play a game of up or down and it's a very simple game. All you got to do is to guess whether a stock or a topic is going to be an up or a down. Willie, are you ready? All right, let's go then. Okay, first on the list, we've got... Peloton. Hmm. Peloton is an up for me um, after his shares have sought after announcing a five-year strategic apparel partnership with Lululemon. Yeah. Um, they were div- Peloton will develop digital fitness content for Lululemon mm. um, and also making it its primary athlete apparel provider. So Peloton shares also jumped more than 15% in mm. its extended trading. Yeah, it's a good development for this uh, company here because I believe they were only known as the covid COVID stock, is that what we call it? Mm. And yeah, I mean, if you look at it this way, but the partnership with Lululemon would mean an additional 13 million members. That's nearly double of Peloton's total global member count of about 7 million. So good news for Peloton here. Yeah, I'm going to go with an up. Let's move on over to SpaceX. Mm. SpaceX is an up for me after the Pentagon has awarded um, Elon Musk's SpaceX company on its first confirmed contract for the Starship network it is developing. So SpaceX will have a one-year contract for Starship which is worth um, about $70 million. Wow. Good news for SpaceX. Yeah, I'm going to go with an up. Next on the list, we've got oil prices. So oil Oil prices has surged 3% um, to the highest settlement in 2023 after a steep drop in US crude stocks compounded worries of tight global supply. So this is a down for me because um, higher oil prices could actually fuel more inflation fears. It could also bring more uh, higher input costs, which could leave many of the sectors, for example, um, the auto sector, the airlines industry um, in some form of um, um, impact on their operating costs. Mm. Up for stock price and also it's going to be a down for uh, the inflation as well. Now, last on the list, we've got Singapore industrial sector. Mm. So this is 
Very interesting for me because amidst all the doom and gloom about high interest rates and how properties, landlords might get affected because of the valuations, because of higher borrowing rates, um, industrial sector, the Singapore industrial sector came at a, as a bright spot, um, largely because, um, number one, construction delays during the pandemic have resulted in industrial supply lagging demand and that has actually led to a strong growth in rental prices, uh, rent and prices in the, industrial, in the Singapore industrial sector. So that is an up, this is an up for me. Mm. Yeah, I I like the prospects of this, and uh, given now it is considered a bright spot in commercial real estate as well, and it seems like industrial assets here in Singapore are holding up well, even amid higher interest rates and heightened uncertainty as well. I'm going to go with an up for Singapore Industrial. All right, thanks a lot, Willie, for this great and comprehensive breakdown, as always, on Market View. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.